Good morning, everyone. As has been said, my name is Phil Howe, and I bring greetings from Green Island Baptist Church. My role there is discipleship pastor, and I've been in that role since November uh, a year ago. And I just want to commend you. Uh, being from Carrick myself, it's been fantastic to see that even in a vacancy, you uh, are not in maintenance mode. You're very much in mission mode, and it's been fantastic just to see the ministry uh, continue and grow in Carrick Baptist. Uh, it's also really great to see some familiar faces as well today. It helps me calm my nerves. Um, but it's great just to be able to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. And so let me begin by saying two words. Music matters. It can change the tone. It can lift the mood. Perhaps you've even felt that this morning through the songs that we've sang, whether it be the melody or the words. Perhaps you have a particular favorite, not just in church, but in life. You know, that go-to song that you want to listen to. And dare I even say we karaoke favorite. I know before Christmas it felt like everyone on uh, my social media accounts, just everyone had Spotify. They're all sharing their like Spotify rap accounts of all the songs that they love throughout the year. See, this is how we know that music matters because it changes the environment and what we're to get out of a moment. And if the wrong music is played in our ears, compared to what we see, it kind of messes with your brain. Here's an example. move that on from that. Um, so a little bit of Muppets mixed with dirty dancing. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to, to compute in our heads what we hear and what we see. Music matters. It, it impacts us. It changes us. Music can even cause us to respond. And again, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to do a song. You will know what you have to do and how you're supposed to respond. Very good. Music matters. And we're going to look at a psalm this morning, the songbook in the Bible, and hopefully that intro shows us a little bit why. Now, I want you to imagine that you uh, had a theme tune that kind of followed you about in life. I wonder what your theme tune would be at the minute. Would it be upbeat, downbeat, thoughtful, energetic? I think over the, the past couple of years, following on from that dreaded word, COVID, uncertainty, waiting, wrestling with understanding God's timing. Psalm 31 is one that comes to my mind and one that I hope and pray will resonate with us as we look at it together this morning. So with your Bibles, let me encourage you to open and keep open Psalm 31. And as you do that, let me pray as we ask for God's help to understand this. Father God, open our eyes to see the amazing truth of what you're saying to us through your word. Open our ears to hear your voice, to hear your song. And may they be the background music that play throughout our lives. By the power of your spirit, equip us to understand what you're saying to us. Equip us for today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Time is a funny concept. We're all bound by it. It keeps moving forward, no matter how much we may want to stop it. I can feel restricting as we're told that there's only 15 minutes of screen, screen time left. And that's maybe just the parents. We've only got a day left on a holiday. 
30 days to pay back that money, six months left to live, a year left to use a voucher. Even this morning, I can guarantee that there was at least one conversation, one person stressed out about this issue of time. And I can pretty much guess how the conversation went before people left the house. You know, come on, we should have been there five minutes ago. Hurry up, hurry up. Before you walk in the church, good morning, good morning, good morning. Time moves in a line, but do we ever realize the line needs to connect up? See, if we look ahead, we see the unknown. If we look up, we see the God who has made himself known. And in this psalm today, we see that our time is in his hands. Our time is in his hands. And realizing that our time is in his hands brings a few key things to life. And here's the first one, trust. Trust, let's read verse 31 one day. Hopefully you have it open or you can follow along on the screen. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, since you are my rock and my fortress. For the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I'll be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You've not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Trusting in spite of the trap. Trusting in spite of the trap. There's a cycle that plays itself out in the Psalms. And here it is. It goes, trouble, cry for help, and that play out. And that's because these eight verses are actually a summary of the whole Psalm. It's like watching that, that goal in football or seeing that, that try in rugby, that incident in real time. And then verse 9 to 24, the rest of it, is the slow breakdown kind of with added commentary. But in verses 1 to 8, we see trusting in spite of the trap. So the song that we're hearing play here is caught in a trap, a bit of Elvis. Perhaps you feel trapped right now, maybe in a, a work situation, a family circumstance, a financial issue, and it genuinely feels that you, that you can't walk out. It feels all-encompassing. What I love about the Bible is that God has put this psalm in here for our good to tell us about himself. And although David wrote this psalm, it is suitably vague so that we can apply this to our situation and still say what David goes on to say, both good and bad. Now, we do get a glimpse of what the trap might be for him later on in the psalm, but we'll get to that right now. He knows there's a trap. And yet, even with this trap, he's going to trust. David is going to trust God in spite of the trap. But how does he do this? Well, look at the picture language and repetition in the first four verses. One of the most repeated words used about God in the Psalms, we've used it in a song there, is that he is a refuge. You see that if you have a look in verse 1, 2, and 4. Actually, even in verse 3, we see a similar picture of a fortress. And David is, is saying to God, God, I'm, I'm looking to you. Because you are where safety is, where you are their stability, as if on a solid rock, a firm foundation. 
And yet in verse 2, he's saying to God, let me never be put to shame. What he's saying there is, never let me publicly be shown to have relied on a, on a false basis for hope. So let's not be like some Spurs football fans who think that this year's their year for a trophy. False hope. I really hope that line doesn't come back to bite me. But Because it's embarrassing whenever these things happen when you put your hope in something, but it's found out to be false. Like that person who puts their hope in a holiday and they, they boast to their colleagues and friends about it all of a sudden for the airline to cancel it. False hope that's seen in public. And David's saying, let that not be me in relation to me putting my trust in you. He's saying, God, deliver me in your righteousness. Give me your assurance. I'm calling out to you, God. Come quick. Don't hesitate. You know those times whenever you try to do something silly, like carry something that's far too heavy for you, for guys that might be trying to carry all those Tesco bags in from the car. Other supermarkets are available. But you, you, you try to take all those bags in at once because two trips is beneath you, right? And you can feel the bag on the pinky finger just about to go and you're like, I need help. Like, I, I can't do that. I need someone to come quick. Here's what David's saying. And we see at verse four, have a look, that, that he's asking God to be kept free from this trap that is set before him. And then he says a beautiful line at the start of verse five, into your hands I commit my spirit. And those of us in the room who've maybe been Christians for a long time, those who know their Bibles, or those maybe who even just grew up in Sunday school, perhaps we recall this line. Can anyone tell me where else this is said in Scripture? I realize this is, you're kind of like, you don't ask questions. You just speak from the front, right? Um, at the cross, isn't it? We see this at the cross right before Jesus dies. Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When it said this, he breathed his last. Also with Stephen, the first Christian martyr who gave his life for King Jesus, says the same thing when he says in Acts 7, 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And here we see from the psalmist that Jesus' last words can be our everyday words. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. And why is David able to say that? Because... Well, as the rest of the verse actually says, he's looking to a faithful God, a God who never lies, who never gives up, who always keeps his promises. You're, you're who it's all about, Lord. It's not about wasting time on worthless idols. He says that in verse six. And if you're wondering what your idol is, by the way, finish the sentence from verse seven. I'll be glad and rejoice in dot, dot, dot. I'll be glad and rejoice in my kids. My job, my hobbies, sports team, car, house, money, status, popularity, social media following. David says worthless idols because they can be taken from us like that. But he says, I will be glad and rejoice. What does the verse say? In your love, God. And how does David know that God loves him? Well, because even with this trap, God sees David's affliction, the anguish of his soul in verse 7. See, God, God meets him at his point of need. Maybe not his point of want, but his point of need. And desperation, if you are desperate, desperation doesn't demand. It doesn't deserve. It simply falls on mercy and grace. And in verse 8, we see that he's not been handed to his enemy, but actually God has got him out of a tight spot. He's now set his feet in a, a spacious place. 
And so we see this cycle is evident. I'll share it again, but using all P's. Because we've heard his plight, the trouble that he's in, the, the, the trap that is set before him. But we also see his prayer. We see him cry out to God for help. And we see that lead to praise. He praises God because he answers. And I wonder how many times this has been the cycle of your life. How many key moments in your life, even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, under your breath, you fire up that prayer, you're desperate, and you cry out to God for help. He hears, he answers, and perhaps we're thankful for a week, or a month, or a year, but yet how quick we can forget. Let's pray that throughout today, by God's Spirit, He would help us recall those moments in our lives and be able to give praise to God, knowing that He does care, He does listen, trusting in spite of the trap. But perhaps you still feel very much in a trap. So even as I stand and say this, you're kind of finding it hard to take in. You're kind of thinking, who who have we brought here today? You're finding it hard to let your faith and your experience align. The current time that you're in, it's too hard. It genuinely feels like there's no escape from your current situation. Well, this is where we need to be reminded that our days are in his hands. In spite of it looking like we're in the hands of our enemies, or we could even say the enemy, the devil. Let's read verses 9 to 18. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servants. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I've cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame. And be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced. For with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. So our time in God's hands brings key things. Trust. Trusting in spite of the trap. And in this section we see our time in God's hands brings a right understanding of who's in control. Because in verse 9 to 18 of Psalm 31 we see his hands in spite of their hands. See, there can be a difference between what something looks like and possibly even feels like and what it actually is. Let let me give you a couple of examples. When we read the Bible, it looks like we're just reading words on a page from a book. Actually, what we're doing is we're hearing from the one true and living God. Whenever we pray, it looks like we're just speaking into thin air. But actually what we're doing is we're meeting around the throne of God. Whenever we go to church, it looks and feels like a bunch of no-hopers gathering to sing in slightly out-of-tune voices, some more than others, and listen to some guy prattle along at the front. Actually what we're doing 
is that God himself is gathering a people that is going to change the world because of Jesus. Even as I, I think I'll be bringing my oldest boy, Ollie, um, to get his first set of injections whenever he was born. So I think they come around 68 weeks. Not 68 weeks, 6 to 8 weeks. And uh, my wife, Lindsay, made me hold Ollie uh, in my hands while he was being injected so that he could associate pain with me. Um, so work well. And... Uh, I remember the, the nurse almost laughing because as Ollie had tears in his eyes, he's only 68 weeks old, I'm trying to explain to him what's going on. And of course there was giggling because there's no way that Ollie would understand. He wouldn't have a clue what I'm saying. Did I feel m- myself getting emotional and, and not like seeing my child in distress? Absolutely. Was I still there? Did I know that this was the best thing for him now and into the future? Absolutely. But there was a difference for Ollie in how it looked and felt compared to what was actually happening in that moment. And so as we think about how God works in, through, and with us, this psalm is telling us the same thing. Our time is in his hands, not theirs. It's why some of you might love that classic song, Father, I, I'm not saying, Father, I place into your hands. And then we kind of list us loads of stuff, don't we? The things I cannot do, the times that I've been through, the way I should go, my friends and family, the the things that trouble me, the person I would be, for I know I always can't trust you. But we place these things into the hand of God because not only does he hold the whole world in his hands, but according to Psalm 31, our time is in his hands. But to place these things in life into God's hands can be difficult. Even think of David, He, he sees the affliction, he feels the anguish. That's what we see in verse 7. We see it take his, its toll on him personally, verse 9 to 10. He, he talks about the, he's very open, isn't he? The, the, the feebleness of his body, diminishing strength, the weakness of his bones. Verse 11 to 13, we see the social impact. He's looked down upon by his enemies, his neighbors, even his friends. Like whatever this trap has, is, or will do, people are looking at him differently. It, it's taken its toll on him. Like, bad paper around that guy. But then we get to the turning point of verse 14. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. See, what David realizes is that he can't be robbed of his comfort in God, even if he's robbed of his reputation. And so he's able to say, my times are in your hands. It's like an echo of Psalm 39. Teach me to number my days. Right, the conversation I had with a friend, she shared about a book that she was reading, and it was called 4,000 Weeks. I was intrigued, and I said, well, why is it called that? And she said, because that's the average lifespan of a person. Doesn't sound that long, does it? And seeing our times in God's hands should give us a fresh perspective. Let me share uh, part of an adapted poem that I found. A basketball in my hands is worth about 15 pounds. A basketball in LeBron James or Steph Curry's hands is worth about 30 to 40 million because it depends on whose hands it's in. An American football in my hands is worth about 10 pounds. An American football in Patrick Mahomes' hands is worth about 50 to 60 million, because it depends on whose hands it's in. A golf club in my hand may be worth 50 pounds. A golf club in Roy McIlroy's hands could be worth 80 million. Depends whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands is a couple of fish sandwiches. Two fish and five loaves of bread in God's hands will feed thousands because it depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands might produce a birdhouse, if even that. It might even nail a piece of wood. 
nails in Jesus Christ's hands will lead to salvation and eternal life for those who love, trust, and follow him because it depends on whose hands it's in. And your worries and your cares and the things that have you so stressed, if you leave them in your hands, that's all they'll ever be. But if you put those same worries, cares, and problems in the hands of Christ, he's going to see us through it and take care of our every need. Because we need to remember, it depends on whose hands it's in. And our times are in his hands, not their hands, not the, the enemy's hands. And if the soundtrack was still playing, we're moving on from Elvis. You maybe start hearing the Beatles at this stage. I don't know if you can guess the song. I want to hold your hands. Save me in your unfailing love, David says. It's unfailing love. God is more than tolerant. That famous verse in John 3.16 doesn't say, because God was so tolerant, he was willing to put up with you. It says because God so loved the world, he was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son and that through him eternal life would be gained. Like if we're honest, we, we live in a world that's pretty cutthroat. People speak arrogantly against Christianity and Christians. This is David's experience in verse 18. And yet what we're seeing in the psalm is that God doesn't give us security from the trouble, but security in that trouble. It's like whenever you're on a plane journey and you're told that, well, if it's needed, what's going to appear? It's, it's a life jacket. The life jacket's under your seat. It, it's there all the time. It just becomes more evident and more noticeable when it's needed. And sometimes that's how God can be, isn't it? In our need, God is there. And remember, verse 9 to 18 is, the, is an unpacking of verses 1 to 8. They aren't separate situations. And we see that the prayer is answered not because of who David is, but because of who God is. And we know he's the one who can look after an anguished soul. Matthew 10, 28, we see the perspective that, that David has to cling to God. Matthew 10 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is why he doesn't fear the enemy. Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? God is the lover of our souls, the, the lover of our bodies. We are embodied souls. He made us. And he made us a relationship with him. And so we trust him in spite of the traps around us. We realize that he is in control. As although it may look that, like we're in their hands, the, the eternal reality is that we are in his hands. And we see that in our current experience, our times are in his hands. And finally, realizing our time is in his hands, yes, it brings trust and control as key things to life. But finally, we see it brings hope. Let's read verses 19 to 24. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You, you keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he, he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. So that's where we get the kind of glimpse of what the tra trap might be that, that he's facing. But he continues. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Hope is what David wants you to walk away with this morning. This is a radiant flourishing of verses eight, 7 to 8. The, the, the repetition of refuge. 
again, this, this picture of despite current circumstances, we can still see the abundant good things that God is doing and will do for those who fear him. Like, like he gives us himself, he gives us his presence. And yet, as we think about hope, it's hope in spite of horror. In spite of the, the alarm that sets in from David in verse 22, he says, in my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Like David's thinking, out of sight, out of mind, that like, God doesn't care. Yet somehow he heard his cry and mercy was given. And so David turns to God's people and says, love him, love the Lord. He preserves those who are true to him. Which reminds me of Luke 21, 19. Stand firm and you will win life. I'm a competitive person. I love to win things. And if there's anything I want to win, I want to win life. And what am I called to do? Stand firm. Stand firm realizing that, that our times are in his hands. And this allows us in any circumstance to bring trust, control, not, not in and of ourselves, but knowing God is. And finally, hope. If you can still hear the Beatles... It's kind of switching now. We're going to play High Hopes by Panic at the Disco because you've got to have high, high hopes. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. That's, that's David's prayer. That's my prayer for us all here this morning, that we would, we would see that, that faith is forward-facing. It's an assurance of the future. It's actually historically hugged as well as we remember the past. And it'll be remiss of me to finish this sermon there because I realize that perhaps for some of you, you're still in that place where you're thinking, God wouldn't understand. God wouldn't have a clue what I'm going through. But here's the thing. We've already alluded to Jesus. His last words on the cross that are in this psalm. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And isn't it amazing that the word of God made flesh, Jesus, died with the word of God on his lips. And it begs the question, why did Jesus just say that? Because we know from the Bible, there's, there's really no such thing as coincidence. And for those people who are standing around watching Jesus, many Jews would have known the Psalms. They would have known that these are important words, and they would have been able to finish the sentence, the rest of verse 5. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. At the very moment... At the very moment the Son of God gives up his life for the likes of you and me, no one but Jesus, not even his followers, perceived the faithfulness of God at work. They thought it was all over. And as Christians in 2024, it's why we can look at Psalm 31 through the lens of Jesus on the cross. And whenever we stop to think about it, Jesus experienced this Psalm. He trusted, not in spite of the trap, but in the trap, through the false accusations made up, through the beatings, the floggings, the spitting, as he dragged the rugged cross to Calvary, this was a trap set up by the enemy, and yet even in it, Jesus trusted his Father. He realized that in spite of everything around him, what it looked like, what it felt like, he was in his hands, not their hands. He's in his Father's hands, not the enemy's, not with the religious leaders or even Pilate, which is why it allows Jesus to say in John 19, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even in Jesus' physical distress, like David, we see the feebleness of his body, diminishing strength, the weakness of his bones. We see Jesus in distress. Like verse nine of 30, Psalm 31, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. We see the social distress as he's jumped on by his enemies. His so-called friends desert him. 
still Jesus realizes that he's in his father's hands. And it's why even in the alarm, in the horror of what looks like another moment of God forgetting about Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taken from another Psalm, Psalm 22. But we see that even in this horror, there is hope. So he's, he's not a God who says, do as I say, not as I do. And this is why Jesus can sympathize and comfort us no matter our current experience. This is why we, we as a church proclaim Christ. We point to Jesus. We cry out to him. We put our trust in him for eternal rescue. And actually, Jesus' cry of into your hands, I commit my spirit, is the reason that we can be strong and take heart this morning. And so as the song has come to an end on the playlist, Jesus' purpose in saying this may have been one moment in time, bit of Whitney, but it's said so we can look to God time after time. It's why we can trust God to be acting faithfully even in the very moment when it appears like he's not being faithful at all. And why as we consider hope that we realize it's confidence about what will happen, ignorant about the timing, One thing we know is that our times are in his hands. And as we walk out those doors this morning, we can do so knowing that no matter what we're facing, we can all leave acknowledging trust in God, God's control, and the hope that we can have in him. Let me pray. Father God, if we're honest, we struggle with your timing. Maybe it be with things that are going on in our life, maybe things that have happened in the past. And yet, Father, we thank you for this assurance in this psalm. We thank you that our times are in your hands. And so, Father, would you help us to realize the trust that we can have in you, the hope that is in you, that you are the one that is in control. Give us that realization this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory and our good. Amen.